you could turn in your Bibles. And you know what? This morning, the, the title of the sermon is Sanctifying Hope. And the Lord has been doing some sanctifying in me with technology. So I have this app that I preach from that clearly is not updated to communicate between my computer and my iPad. This is just, it's probably first world problems here for sure. But um, it's like Daryl, print the thing and be done with it. Um, but anyway, is the Lord just reminding me how just fragile I am? <laughs> how fragile? Like, my app's not working! Lord, how long will you torture me? Will you abandon me? Um, like, uh, it's probably, you got air conditioning in the building. You're probably pretty good. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going this morning. So I do have my notes, and I'm going to lean heavy on them, and there's a reason for that, because this is a big passage with a lot, a lot to say, and we want to hear what God has to say through it, and we'll have to, to move uh, pretty quickly, pretty quickly. Um, but before I read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21, I, I just want to point out that there, there are a number of things this morning that any one of us might be hoping in. Um, you might be hoping in a Dallas Cowboy victory uh, for this afternoon. I think it's this afternoon. Uh, you might be hoping in your favorite team. You might be hoping in a vacation a few weeks away. You might be hoping for, to move very quickly, a, a, a spouse in the future or a, a, ch a child in the future. Or maybe you're, you're hoping you're looking for a grandchild. Number of things, a new job, a a number of things. But in the midst of conflict, it's interesting how the Lord reveals to us wh where really our ultimate hope lies. When, when difficulty and challenge surrounds us, when, when we find ourselves in, in the tornado of a circumstance that is above and beyond us, we really begin to examine where our hope is, don't we? Well, if I can just get that new car, that doesn't help me with a spouse necessarily. Maybe you're thinking it's a really nice car, maybe, but that'd be weird. It, do, it doesn't help. It, it pushes us to uh, what we really hope in. What is our ultimate hope? And so I want you to listen to 1 Peter 1, 13 to 21 in light of that ultimate hope this morning. So let's hear God's word. God's infallible, inerrant, holy word. This, this, this is important to hear, isn't it? We're grateful for his word. So here's God's word. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him 
are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Lord, we come to this text. It's, it's a big text this morning. It, it's loaded full of your truth. And we need that truth. And so we come needy and desperate. And so we would ask, oh God, that you would help us as we work through this text. Lord, I pray that you would drive to the heart the truth of your word. You'd minister to the brokenhearted. You would care for the weak. That you would bring low the proud. That you would meet us where we are as your people. And that you would even through it, Lord, as we have heard the gospel already, you would even save the lost this morning. We are so dependent on you. But oh, how happy we are that you are so sufficient and competent to accomplish what you set out to accomplish. So Holy Spirit, have your way through your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so, so Peter is calling his hearers to set their hope on the absolute certainty of God and his promises in Christ. Now, Peter's letter here, 1 Peter, we're jumping in a few verses in. Peter's letter here is addressed to some suffering Christians. And their suffering, honestly, is very, very similar to what I would just call ordinary Christian difficulty. It's intensifying in this moment, but it's probably not at martyrdom, but it's probably at, at the level of exclusion. The Christians were being excluded from society. They were being looked down upon. They were being belittled by, by the culture at large. And so there was discouragement. It was abounding. And so these new Christians were discouraged. And Peter, the elder, the, the pastor, the apostle, writes to them, speaks to them about where their hope is. Now, he's already established the gospel. It's much like this morning as we jump in. I'm, we never want to assume the gospel. So we've sung the gospel. We actually took communion, which demonstrated the gospel. We had these symbols of the gospel. And we're going to continue to reflect on the gospel as we move through this text. But I'm jumping right in to say, as I'm addressing you, I'm addressing you as God's people this morning. And so let us hear God's word as his people. The certainty of God's promises in Christ. And here's, here's why. Here's the, the connection. to like I thought your title was sanctifying hope. What in the world does that have to do? Well, Here's why. What we hope in determines how we live now. What, we're, what we hope in for the future determines how we live now. And how we live now demonstrates what we truly hope in. There's a revelatory effect to that. This is, this is why in verses 13 to 21, what we just read, Peter frames his comments regarding how we are to live during our exile on this earth, we're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. We're waiting. We've been reconciled to God through Jesus. But oh, how we want the new heavens and the new earth. We want all things to be consummated. So within this context here is this concept of hope. In verse 13, he commands us to hope. While in verse 21, he reminds us why our hope rests in God. So here's three ways. Three ways, because I like threes. 
<laughs> I don't have a poem, but I have three points. Here are three ways we live with hope in our God by looking forward, one, by looking up, two, and by looking back. That's the condensed version. We're going to dig into this. So by looking forward, forward, by looking up, and by looking back. First, let's look forward. And here's what I mean. So if you're taking notes and you like the longer definition, look, or the longer topic, look forward in hope to the grace you'll receive at the return of Christ. There's, there's an impact that that has in our sanctification, even as we look ahead to Christ's return. As we face the uncertainties and difficulties of life in this hostile world, we are to set our hope, verse 13, set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter reminds all Christians that our hope is in God who has already worked on our behalf to save us through his son Jesus. You're here this morning, you're in Christ. You've been redeemed. He has caused us to be born again, verse 3. And having had this salvation applied to us through the Holy Spirit, the new birth, we have this hope, the same hope of resurrection. We've got some, anyone, anyone hopeful this morning of resurrection? <laughs> Very important to consider as we think about Christ's resurrection and his return. The resurrection of all the saints, all those who have died in Christ. So when Peter directs us to set our hope on this future salvation... He's not asking us to look to something that is uncertain. He's not hoping that his, his team wins the Super Bowl this year. He's not just hoping that something will happen. And he's not even hoping of these little bigger things of, oh, I just hope God will come through for me. No, he's saying we're to hope on the certainty of what Christ has done and his second coming. The second coming is to play a role in the ongoing establishment of our hearts in hope in God. How often do we think on Christ's return? We should be thinking of it often, and it should stir us in hope. It should establish us in hope. Set our hope fully on the future grace to be revealed in Christ's return. So when our hope is rooted there in the great salvation, and when I say salvation, sometimes we use salvation, we mean just that moment of conversion or the point at which we were born again. But the, the term salvation here is, is the consummation and the completion and the fulfillment of all that Christ has come to do. Set your hope there. So move, move regularly away from, not away, move in this aroma of, in the sphere of, the circle of your personal salvation to the consummation of everything, which includes you. Don't remove yourself and say, well, I'm not that important. No, you are vitally important to this great big cosmic redemption that Christ is doing and he's returning. Set your hope there. Put your hope there. Now, that's a foundation that you can live on regardless of the circumstances, regardless of who wins the game, or even, even regardless if we are to have children or not. In those most intimate of broken-hearted experiences, we can say Christ is returning and all things will be made new and I'm included in his cosmic redemption. Come quickly, Lord. 
So how do we learn to set our hope on the grace of God? There's actually, Peter drills down a little deeper. Peter says it's through preparing our minds for action. And being sober-minded, preparing your mind for action is literally gird up the loins. Um, Peter paints a picture of a man preparing to run, and he has to, to take this robe, this whatever it is, like whatever this man was wearing, he needed to tie up, right? You, you know the, the ancients would wear, I say, we say in our church, they just wore dresses, and they, they would roll them up. And then they would run in them because once you roll them up, you can run in them these tunics that they wore. And so here it's saying, hey, get ready for action. Prepare yourself for action. Setting your hope fully on God requires mental preparation and resolve. It requires uh, setting our hope fully on the grace that is to come is, is an act that requires renewed thinking and disciplined thinking. In other words, if we are to set our hope fully on the grace yet to be revealed, we need to prepare ourselves with the proper mindset, with mental resolve. That, that the engagement, as we've been born again and we have new hearts, and, and we're living for Christ, then we, we're praying, what? That the Lord would renew our minds. There's this on, now as we dig into the word, we have this ongoing growth of our minds being renewed in the word, in the scriptures. And that, that's work, isn't it? I wish we could just say, I got a lot of Bibles, so I know the Bible. I know God's Word. Maybe like, Osmo, if I just wear it around on my head. It's a big Bible. That'll hurt your head. Wear it around. We actually have to. There's a mental engagement. Now, not just merely in the working of Scripture, but the application of that and how it works out in our lives. So how do we do that? How do we gird up our loins of our minds? Peter explains with the word sober-minded. When we think of the word sober, what do you think of? Most often, we probably think of alcohol. <laughs> and that, that does actually provide a helpful framework for, for us here. Consider how drunkenness affects every aspect of the human body. It clouds the judgment. It slows reflexes. It diminishes discernment. It provokes us to do things we would not normally do. Now, consider the fact that Peter's speaking about girding up the loins of your mind. And, and Peter speaks of the mind not merely as the source of intellectual activity. For Peter, the mind determines or controls our actions. He's talking about mental preparedness and resolve. Disciplined thinking that will control right behavior. That leads to the action of obedience. Another word for sober-minded could be self-control. Could be a good translation there. So are we... And we are to prepare our minds for action by not imbibing the patterns and philosophies of this world that, that can inebriate our minds. Make our minds dull and, and dilute discernment and, and provoke us even to do things contrary to God's word. His revealed will. Just to say it straight up, dear friends, let us not be drunk with the world. And if, and if you feel the pressure to be drunk with the world, man, I'm traveling on a plane and I'm old now. So it's old. I do old stuff like, man, remember the days we used to read hardcover books? But now I got a phone, man. I got, I got Netflix. I got football games. I got baseball games. I go to my fantasy league. I, I'm like hours on this stuff. And I'm thinking, 
maybe I should pray. <laughs> you're like, you're a pastor? <laughs> you're our regional leader? Yes, please pray. But do you, you feel that pressure? Am I alone? Or do you, do you feel the pressure of just constant influx of ideas and philosophies? And, and, and there's, Peter would say to us, guard your mind. Be disciplined about what you do. I'm, I'm not saying any of those things are inherently wrong. I'm just saying that we, we do have to be disciplined about it. The Christian life is a Christian. It's what the Holy Spirit works in our heart. He actually works a desire to be disciplined. He actually works out. There's now a, this hunger to know God. Therefore, the things that are the means of grace to know God become more and more a priority in our lives. Oh, so let us be sober-minded. Let us be self-controlled relative to how we take the world in especially related to philosophies, ideologies, that are we thinking through them biblically? Well, let's just do, Paul says it this way, Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. Look carefully then how you walk. Again, Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. This is Paul, God's word. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. It's not a 21st century problem. It's a human condition. And the remaining sin, even as Christians, that we have is a warfare. And we're engaged in warfare. And it begins with our minds. Our obedience begins with right thinking about who God is and what he has done and what his word says. And then it, it works down into our lives in practice as we follow him. So may the Lord help us to that end. So here's Peter's logic to sum up. To live as God's people in our conduct, we need to set our hope fully on God and on his promised salvation. Specifically, we are to be looking forward to the return of Christ and our own resurrection, the fullness of the gospel, and to set our hope fully, we need to be sober in our thinking, not drunk on the priorities of this world. The battle to live well begins with rightly directed hope the return of Christ. Look forward in hope to the grace. Oh, it's grace. How are we doing this? By God's grace. How will we succeed? By God's grace. What will be the end result? God will give us more grace. We will be with him forever because God is gracious. As you heard this morning, as Eric so well said, we don't deserve to even come in here and worship him, yet he is gracious towards us and he longs for us to worship him. Does that not blow your mind? That blows my mind. Some of you wouldn't even want to hang out together. And the Lord calls you and the Almighty calls you to worship together. You'd, you'd probably, some of you would run from me. I can tell. It's probably wise. And all of, this, all of this serves. It serves two ends. God's glory and it serves to make us more like Jesus now. It actually has a present. It, it's not ignoring it's it's not head in the sand the the forward looking actually has a transformative work of sanctification in us now as we've been discussing so next peter calls us to look up so we look forward and now we look up in hope to the nature of our god and father our new birth has changed our identity that's why we want to hang out together we're new in Christ. We don't define, we don't define the, the, the priority any longer 
by the world's evaluation or standards. We define the priority by in Christ. And then others are people we want to see in Christ. There's two categories in all the world. In Christ and those we want to see in Christ. So then that helps us. Now, maybe you think that's an oversimplification. Maybe, but I'm a simple dude. And I think, I think the scriptures go there. The two ways, really. Are you in Christ? And then there are things to change, of course, for all of us. But are you in Christ? Well, we've, Peter has affirmed, he's writing to those who are in Christ. That, and and the, one of the great glories of being in Christ, verse 17, is that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is now our Father. <laughs> there are many dear saints here this morning who knew my Father. And he was, he was I, I wish you all would have known him. Many of you did know him. But my dad would say, compared to the Father, oh, you don't need to know me. You need to know the Father. The Father. And now Peter's saying, look, if you are in Christ, if you've been born again, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is now our Father. The one we relate to. We now have access through Christ to him. He loves us and his love is expressed in what he's provided through Christ. And we are now joint heirs with Jesus. Oh man, we could spend the rest of the morning there, but we got to move on. We are his children. <laughs> Praise his name for that. As sons and daughters, then we are to bear the likeness of our father. Here's where Peter goes. He doesn't just stop with celebrating the glory of that work, which we will spend eternity doing. That we will, we will literally spend eternity celebrating that wonderful work that Christ, that the father has initiated in his love for us and the sending of his son. But he goes on to say, emphasizing verse 16, or in this case, in verse 16, he had emphasized that we're to be like him, like, like father, like son. <laughs> Since God, our father, is holy, we are to be holy, verse 16. Is that a heavy verse? It's a heavy verse. And, and there's much Old Testament background to that, and Peter's looking much at the book of Leviticus uh, you can, I'm going to give you these if you want to look them up later. For those of you who are digging in, do that this afternoon. Dig in. Leviticus 11.44 and Leviticus 19.2 and Leviticus 20.7-8. Leviticus 11.44, Leviticus 19.2, Leviticus 20.7-8. Just a way to look at the, what Peter is drawing on is the Old Testament background of God's holiness, the, the framework. And then in 1 Peter 10 through 12, Peter's readers, now he's emphasizing you're living in a time of fulfillment. He's referring back to 1 Peter uh, 10 to 12, chapter 1, 10 to 12. But the spirit-inspired Old Testament is still authoritative for them. So it, it's not, the, the fulfillment does not mean that all of a sudden we have like a half testament or a testament that's like a B level, but it's authoritative to be understood in light of the new. The new interprets the old, but still authoritative. So just as Israel was to be holy because Yahweh is holy, Peter's saying we're to be holy as sons and daughters of God, the Father. We too are to be holy. The, the concept of holiness in the old covenant related to these 
text is really about consecration because we're talking about being consecrated to the Lord, so obedience to the Lord. So here's the framing of it. Things which were consecrated or dedicated to God for his service. And in this sense, when God declares himself to be holy, he means that he is dedicated to himself. (laughs) God is dedicated to himself. God is committed to himself, to his own service. Everything he does is for his own name and glory and Praise God, we are swooped up into that because he loves us. But he alone is uniquely distinct from all else. He alone is an uncreated being. He alone dwells in unapproachable light. Therefore, nothing common or unclean can come into his presence. That was, you read the Old Testament and you get bogged down. You're like, man, there's a lot of detail here. Well, that's because it was dangerous to go in the presence of the Lord. And it was dangerous to disobey him. It was dangerous to go in unclean. It was dangerous to go in stained with sin. By implication, that which is holy is taken from or separated from that which is common or unclean. So this matters because the Old Testament background underlines all that Peter is saying. As the new covenant people of God, we, we have been set apart by the Holy Spirit for the, with the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus in 1 Peter 1, 2. We've been set apart from the world to serve God only as obedient children. Then we are not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. Verse 14 now, coming back into our text. Instead, we're to be holy in all our conduct as he who called us out of this world is holy himself. Because how how we conduct ourselves in this world reveals to whom we are dedicated. God is dedicated to himself. His creatures were created to worship him and to be dedicated to him. But through the fall, we became enemies, not friends, because of our sin. Now you've been reconciled, sons and daughters. Sons and daughters, you've been reconciled. Peter says, now live like it. Just the same effect as it had. And and we recognize we can't do that on our own. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit comes and now we're living for the Lord. Our conduct in this world will reveal to whom and to whose service we are truly dedicated. We need to ask ourselves. It's, It's okay to ask ourselves. Do we look just like the world? Or do I look like my Father in heaven? Am I too in step with the present world? Now, I'm not saying let's just be weird To be weird, those are my words. You use your words. Out of step, more sophisticated probably than that. We don't want to (laughs) just, I've heard it said, we don't want to just be, we we may be Jesus freaks, we don't want to just be freaks. (laughs) If we're going to be freaks, let us be freaks for standing on the truth of God's word and doing that lovingly and patiently and humbly declaring the gospel to whoever will listen. That's where we want to be. Are we becoming more like him and less like the world or not? What does our conduct show about our true hope and what we have made maybe even a functional God in our lives? What controls my decisions? Is it God and his word and, or, or is it these things I hope for and long for and must have that are, may even be good things but can lead to bad things if they replace God? There are plenty of ways I hope my son is not like me. Many, many but there aren't any ways in which I don't want him to look just like his heavenly father. Oh, serve Jesus. 
young people. I can tell you the parents here, there, there are many ways in which we say, don't do things the way we did it. And there are many wonderful examples here, I know. There are many faithful, and we praise God for the wonderful parenting examples. But oh, isn't that our heart's cry, parents? That, they would, that our children would, would outstrip us in sanctification and godliness and obedience to the Lord. That, that the aroma of their lives would, would be so gloriously humble, but so gloriously settled in God's word. That they would shine out the glory of Christ as they live their lives. That they would be confident no matter what happens to them when the winds blow, that Jesus is coming back and that their hope is in the Lord. And in the present moment, even though they are awaiting his return, he has not left them, but indwells them by the power of the Spirit, and they will live their lives for our triune God's glory every day. Oh God, do that in all of us, oh Lord. Do that for your glory. This is one of the realities of being born again. You now have a desire. If you have a desire this morning, that desire is not because I yelled at you or shouted. It's because Christ has worked in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, and you now want to please your Father. As we look up hoping in our God and who he is, we are meant to be motivated to holy. Our God is holy. And sometimes our faith is weak. <laughs> sometimes my faith is weak. I'm like, it almost seems, Lord, in, the, in these certain hours, I believe, right? Help my unbelief. One of the dangers, though, that we will find, so just a couple of quick dangers and then we'll, we'll move on. We may think, um, we may be tempted to compare ourselves to one another. Let's not do that. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm pretty good compared to y'all. <laughs> that was rhetorical. <laughs> Make sure you know. He said he was better than us. Um, rhetorical. You know, you know what we can do that? We say we don't, but then we're really tempted too. Because when someone else has great success and we're discouraged <laughs> in their walk with the Lord, we're like, well, I'm not having that kind of success. <laughs> so let's not compare ourselves with one another. Certainly not compare ourselves with the world. I think we match up pretty well at the church at large. Let's not say, boy, if the church at large would get its act together, man, things would be a lot better. Let's calibrate our lives to God. That's what we're called to do. I, I, my car has a sensor that tells me when the tires are low. And this sensor is calibrated to the manufacturer standard of the tires. So <laughs> when the warning light comes on, I should fill up and adjust the tires to correct the tire pressure. But I know it's a Honda and it's probably lying to me. And so what I do is I go into the computer and I recalibrate it to the current settings and the little light goes away. Now that's the dumbest thing ever and super lazy, but I don't want to go and fill up those tires and check them because temperature goes up, temperature goes down, the light comes on. So I go into my set. Let us not do that, right? Let us not recalibrate our obedience to God based on the world around us. Like there's a lot of pressure here. I don't really want to deal with this as a Christian. I'm just going to recalibrate my position, not according to God's word, but just as I can't deal with this pressure anymore. Look to the one who's returning. Look forward to the one who's returning. Look up to the one who is holy. And you will find so much encouragement to calibrate your life to God's word. You will be renewed in your heart so that that calibration doesn't seem like this huge inconvenience, but rather seems like an obedience to the Lord that will please my father and make me actually happy in God. Joyful in him. 
So when our faith is weak and when our hope wavers, we need to consider also, there's a, there's a side to this that, that Peter goes into, the consequences of our sins, to medic, meditate on God's coming judgment. We are to reflect his character, but God, God is holy. And Peter, Peter digs into that. In verse 17, he says that if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. It, it's, a, it's a weighty text. The, the reality of God's judgment is something that the Bible is, does not equivocate on, does it? There's a judgment coming. That forward-looking for those in Christ is a happy day. For those outside of Christ, should they live to see that, is not a happy day. And should they die outside of Christ, is not a happy day. This is, this is why our heart breaks for those who are lost. We want them to know the joy of the Heavenly Father, to see His character, to see His holiness, to move from belittling His holiness and ignoring it and denying it to affirming who He is, to being worshipers of Him. But there's also a component as believers that we want to make sure that we haven't reduced God to a small God, to a little God, to a God that fits in our pocket. He is a lion. He is not a house cat. He is the Lord Almighty. When the angel of the Lord revealed himself to Manoah, Samson's father, and, and Manoah offered a burnt offering to the Lord, and the angel went up in the flame to heaven, we are told that Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, listen to this, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. Not directly, but just through an ambassador, a, a messenger. A messenger came from the throne room of God. We have seen him. We're dead. I mean, that's not, that's not a theological point. Of, that's a narrative to build on. But that's, it, that's a reflection, isn't it, of the holiness of God the grandeur and greatness of God. Let us not domesticate God. I mean, we can't. I mean in our own thinking. Of course we can't, but we could in our own thinking. So brothers and sisters, let me encourage you. The, the, the next emphasis within this character of God, hope in the character of God, is the fear of the Lord. And so the fear of the Lord is knowing that God, the God whom we call Father is also the judge of all the earth. It is knowing that he will judge every human being without partiality on the, on the evidence of their conduct on this earth. That is why we are to conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time of our exile. That is oh so humbly. Can I just be honest? I don't like preaching these texts. It, it unsettles me. Getting close to the holiness of God and his judgment and the eternal realities of that unsettles me. I believe it with all my heart. But it shakes me to the core when we take it in and consider just how glorious he is. Not because he's glorious, but because I'm sinful. Even my remaining sin. Oh, how it drives me to the cross. Well, the fear of God is a means of our own pursuit of holiness. Do you fear the Lord? We want our children to fear us and respect us, certainly. And we should, oh, we should. Fear the Lord. If we continue conducting ourselves according to our former passions, the text says, don't conduct yourself according to those old passions. 
But the text says if we, if we continue to do that, as it says, it suggests that our hope is not really in God at all. It suggests that our hope is really in something else. Billy said it this morning as you all were walking through communion. This cup doesn't save. Don't trust in taking this communion cup. If you have not trusted in Christ, don't, don't come. But trust in Christ today. Oh, how you want to feel the vulnerability of needing. I need some kind of covering to come into this space. And that, I mean by that, life in a healthy, whole way. I need someone to cover the guilt, the shame, the sin, the offense that this is to a holy God. We're getting there. The warning of God's coming day of judgment promotes perseverance whenever we may find it hard to believe God's promises. So remember, remember the discipline of the Lord. One of the means of discipline is to remind us of who he is. To give us a little deeper revelation of who he is. To be sobered. To be undone in his presence. To to have an Isaiah moment where we're on our faces before him. Trembling. And declaring our uncleanness and unfitness. And let him establish and declare our access. Let him do the good work to draw us in. Let's see him as he is and as we should see him um quick quote michael reeves i think we'll have the we may have this on the screen if not bear with me it's a longer quote michael i want to i want us to make sure that when we think of the fear of the lord that we're not making a a a radical break between fear and love and and michael reeves does this really well so listen saints as as we read the loving god or the living god excuse me is infinitely perfect and overwhelmingly beautiful in every way amen And so we do not love him aright if our love is not a trembling, overwhelmed, and fearful love. In a sense, then, the trembling fear of God is a way of speaking about the intensity of our love for God. The right fear of God, then, is not the flip side of our love for God, nor is it a one side of our reaction to God. It is not that we love God for his graciousness and fear him for his majesty, That would be a lopsided fear of God. We also love him in his holiness and tremble at the marvelousness of his mercy. True fear of God is true love for God defined. The biblical theme of the fear of God helps us to see the sort of love toward God that is fitting. It shows us that God does not want passionless performance or a vague preference for him. To encounter the living, the God truly, the living God truly means that we cannot contain ourselves. He's not a truth to be known unaffectedly or a good to be received listlessly. Seeing clearly the dazzling beauty and splendor of God must cause our hearts to quake. Amen, Brother Reeves. You see the, the love. You know this. You know when you're, I'm not dealing with, with someone, a person who, who I can fully relate to. He is God and I am his creature. And yet he condescends to deal with me. Oh, and how glorious this indicates our last point. We look, we look back now. Where do we look back to? These saints were just looking back a little ways. We are looking back a little further. We are to look back in hope on Christ's ransom. We are to look back in hope. That's where Peter goes. We're to conduct ourselves with fear. We're also to conduct ourselves with gratitude. We look back on what Christ has accomplished. 
verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, running to the end. Like a a master composer, Peter has started this symphony with just, (laughs) I've entered into a, a metaphor I know very little about, symphonies. Yeah, bad move, I know. Let me, let me do this. I, want, I saw a YouTube video. <laughs> and it, it's set in um, Germany, in Nuremberg, I believe. And it's one of those, uh, what do they call Mob, flash mobs? Yeah, yeah, one of them things. Flash mobs. So it's, it's Beethoven's ninth. And so it begins with a little, a young lady, a girl, with a recorder. And she's playing in a courtyard. Dun 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 dun. Just a little. I can't do the. There we go. And then a cellist is in front of her, and he responds to her. And then all of a sudden, other instruments begin to join, and then the choir begins to join. And I, I was honest, I, I watched it again last night. I was weeping. Like, you are such a wimp. Just weeping at the, the, the buildup of this ode to joy, right? The buildup of this, song, this little girl standing. And I thought, that's Peter. He, he highlights the story. And then he's, he's building. Now he goes to this, this reality of who God is and and he's, he's working on it a little quieter, just driving it home. And then all of a sudden, at the end of our text, he just explodes. Like, let me tell you about who Jesus is and what he's done. Let me remind you. Let me remind you as you look forward and you look up. Let me rem- remind you to have eyes in the back of your spiritual head to see the cross. To see where Jesus went to atone for your sins. So that you can do business with this holy God. That we have no business coming into his presence. No ground to do business with him whatsoever. And yet here it goes, it explodes. Oh, it's better than the ninth, but the ninth is good. But it's so much better than the ninth. Can you imagine the voices in heaven on that day? Can you even begin to imagine the largest choir you've ever been moved by? The greatest concert you've ever heard will not even be a drop in the ocean compared to the saints as they sing when the lamb comes into that great center court, takes his throne, and the saints sing glorious praise to him forever. Oh, there is a drive. Oh, before there is a drive to the end here that Peter intentionally makes to care for our hearts when we are not hoping in God. It's so big. I wish we could spend more time in the Old Testament references. We don't have time for that. But, but know this. God knew the complete program of redemption before the foundation of the world. The symphony was written. But when Christ arrived, oh, it exploded. And there is a return where it will explode again in new ways, in glorious ways that we can hardly Well, not hardly, that we cannot even comprehend. 
Our incomprehensible God has revealed himself in wonderful and marvelous ways. The gospel, the good news, as we've heard from the beginning of the service to the end, is the primary motivation of our holiness as we sojourn in a hostile world. We are looking ahead to what will be the, the, the glorious grace of, of a new heaven and a new earth and the fullness of the revelation of Jesus and his second coming. And we were looking up to the revelation of God and knowing that, that Christ's work, his clothing of me, makes it possible that I can dwell with him. And then we continue to look back at the cross, don't we? We preach the cross and him crucified. What else do we preach? We preach the cross and him crucified. God is holy. He certainly will judge sin. But instead of judgment, we receive mercy because God has purchased us with the blood of Jesus. Because we have been delivered from the bondage of our former ways. We are now to display our Father's holiness during our time on the earth. When we meditate on the gospel and continue believing this gospel, we will be warned by God's judgment for sure. And motivated by God's grace for sure. To walk in holiness. To become more like him as we journey toward the day when we meet him. Not only as our king, which he is, everyone, but as our father who loved us before the foundation of the world. Let's pray. Lord, um, yeah, if the worship guys could come on up before I pray, that'd be good. And even, even the, prayer, the prayer team would come on up. That would be great. <clears throat> Lord, we, Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy. And, and Lord, this, this text is, is so glorious. Your word is so precious and so sweet. And so, Lord, would you, again, I just pray that you would drive these truths home to, to hurting hearts. Lord, to hopeless hearts. Lord, if they're, if they're your children here this morning who are in a, a category of their life, they're just hopeless. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray you would remind them of who you are and what you have done for them. And what it means now to, to take really our, our thoughts captive, to actively establish our hope on you, to be involved in that, to not, to not be passive there, but to be engaged, empowered by the Spirit, to say, today I'm hoping in the Lord. Help me, Lord. I believe. Help my unbelief. Would you begin in that small way in the hearts of your people that are just so discouraged? And Lord, maybe, maybe there's smaller discouragements which are, are no less painful, difficult. Would you meet them with an assurance of who you are and, and what you have done in Christ Jesus? Your love for them, not defined by present circumstances, but defined by the cross, defined by who you are in your word, and defined by your plan to make all things new. We need you. We're grateful for you. Be glorified, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.